0: What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. I'm really excited to talk to y'all about something really important today. Uh, you know, we try to mix it up from time to time. We have our full episodes and we have B sides. You know, we'll have guest hosts. We'll have we do different things. We do listener letters. You know what I'm saying? We do reviews. where We read y'all's reviews of the podcast. Where we appreciate that. Um, we have something else special for y'all today. And what it's called is the See It to Be It series. Okay. This is an interview series highlighting professional role models in a variety of industries. The goal of this series is to draw attention to the vast array of possibilities available to emerging and aspiring professions with a particular attention paid to support black and brown professionals. Many of y'all should remember Amy C. Wanninger. She is the author of uh, Networking Beyond Bias, and she was a guest on the Living Corporate podcast in season one to talk about effective allyship. Well, Amy has continued on Living Corporate as a writer, and she's also blessed us with uh, a partnership and getting a special series out. So, what you're going to hear is Amy talking to a variety of black and brown professionals, as I said at the top, from a variety of industries. And it's going to be really cool because it's really going to zoom in from a technical perspective on what they do, while at the same time, hopefully inspiring folks who may not see themselves in that industry. To actually see themselves, hence the title, See It To Be It. You see what I'm saying? All right, so with that being said, I'm gonna go ahead and dip. The next thing you're gonna hear is an interview with Amy C. Weininger and an amazing minority professional. Catch y'all next time. Peace.
1: Diana Watson is an international keynoter and four time national speaking champion. Her latest speech in Mandarin. Am I Strange?, had over 1 million views only two weeks after it was posted to YouTube. Diana provides Chinese business consulting services to companies that need a better understanding of Chinese culture to improve business outcomes. She also coaches professionals who aspire to deliver presentations in their non-native language. Her book, The Speaking Seed, Secrets to Successful Foreign Language Public Speaking, is the first book ever dedicated to foreign language public speaking. You can learn more about Diana and her business at speakingseed.com. And now please welcome to the show, Diana Watson. Diana, welcome to the show, how are you? I am
2: great, thank you so much for having me today, Amy.
1: Thank you, I am excited about this, not just because you and I are friends, but also you are the very first person I have interviewed who lives in Taiwan. I guess
2: there's not too many people who live in Taiwan who have connections in the
1: states. But thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited. Yes, this is this is great. So, first of all, can you explain to us how you got into foreign language speaking and mm-hmm. Chinese business consulting because this is a this is a career path that I personally could never have imagined. Mm-hmm. And for me, it would never occur to me to just pick up and move to the other side of the world. And I just want to hear a little bit about your journey. Well, if you want to hear a little bit about the journey, I that that'll be difficult because it's a
2: long story and it started from when I was a kid. But I'll try my best to summarize it very quickly so I won't bore any of your listeners. I had always been a person who loved traveling and seeing the world, learning languages. My sister instilled that passion in me because she's also a passionate linguist. And she, she, I remember when I was little, she had a globe in her room. And we used to, like, study it and spin it around. Remember those old
1: school globes?
2: Now people don't have them anymore. So all of you listeners out there, if you don't have a globe, that's like – not having a set of encyclopedias. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding.
1: But <laughs> you should and really our get a globe. Your listeners, you listeners, listeners globe. are like, what's an encyclopedia? I know. They're like, oops. <laughs> I have a globe. I actually have a globe sitting in my office and uh, my kids come in and spin it. And then we talk about, yeah. you know, where they land with their finger and, you know, what's it like there? And it's usually in the middle of the ocean. And the answer is wet. But but you managed to to hit land with your fingers. So. Well, you know globes. It's one of those old school things that are that is just
2: classic that will never go out of style. So if you don't have a globe, get a globe, and then you'll explore all the possibilities that's right here on this earth. You can spin it around and look at all the different places you want to go. And my sister and I used to do that sometimes for hours. Just spin it around, look at the different countries that we all said we wish, that the both of us said that we wish we could visit and the languages they spoke and we imagine what it was like there. And we would pair that with her set of encyclopedias and would look it up and say, oh, this is the kind of food they eat and look at the pictures. But today, encyclopedias are Google. So you can just Google it. So I always had that passion ever since I was younger. And, as, and when I got older, I studied in France. And then I had a very short stint in the Peace Corps in Nicaragua. And I came back to the States. I was supposed to get married. I didn't, thank God, because it would have been a complete disaster. And I went to graduate school and I still connected with other people who like to travel and love languages like I did. And I got to this point when I was about 25 or 26 years old where I really just didn't feel like I fit in the United States anymore. It wasn't even though I was born American, my, my mama and daddy are both black. Their families both have both lived in the States for 300 years. Something inside my core just said, you don't fit here. In order to find, to discover who you really are, you're going to need to go somewhere else to find it. And I was a teacher at the time with a master's, two master's degrees, and I just missed qualifying for public housing. And I remember a call. yes, I was, imagine, I was about $1,200 away from qualifying for Section 8 housing. And I had two master's degrees and I was a public school teacher. So at the time, I had to teach all day in elementary school. I taught ESL school at night and I tutored to make ends meet.
1: And ESL for those who don't know is, is, English, English is English
2: is a second language. English is a second language education. And I remember, I remember very clearly one of my coworkers that evening for my evening class said to me, Diana, you know, you like to travel like I do. She's like, You need to get into international education. And I said, International education? I'm like, oh, what's that? And she's like, there's American schools, international schools all over the world where you can teach. She said, why stay here? She's just like, you're young, you're single, get up and go. You love to travel, go. And she connected me with someone that she had worked with that could that get me a job. And they had these international teaching fairs. And I went And I got a job at an oil school in Indonesia, and I left. And it was – that first year was incredibly difficult. But it didn't matter how hard it was. It still felt right. And that was 17 years ago in August that I left the United States. And I I haven't really looked back since then. Amazing. So that's the –
1: I tried to make it into a short story, but it was a little long though. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's
2: perfect. It was perfect.
1: <laughs> because I think that yeah. background is important because there's somebody listening right now that's sitting there with that same feeling that you had mm-hmm. of, you know, this isn't working for me. I, I aspire, you know, I really want to spread my wings and see what I'm capable of. And there's this whole world out there. Yeah. And just like someone gave you permission uh, to go explore it, right, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, taking a different direction with your career. There's somebody sitting out there now who has that same feeling, who's waiting for permission. So if that's you, if you're listening, go, go, go. It's it's a great big world out there, right? It's difficult though, because
2: my parents didn't support me. In the beginning, They they didn't support me. They were very fearful. I had to trick them into letting me go. So what I did was when I was in university, I knew that I wanted to study abroad and I was never allowed to in the past. So I purposely enrolled in a major that required all the students to study abroad. So I wouldn't have been able to graduate from college if I didn't go. Like that's the way I had to do it. There's no other way. (laughs) I, you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, there was no way my mama and my daddy were going to be like, oh, you're just going to fly off to France and wear some beret and eating and flirting with those boys? Are you crazy? But I did. I figured out a way to do it and I did it. And now, now they're just like, it's, it's just it's no big deal to them. When other people say, Oh, my baby's gonna study for six months. What am I gonna do? My parents are like, six months? Are you kidding me? That's nothing. Let me counsel you for a minute. Like they're the experts now. But it didn't start off that way. It took a long time. And I'm really proud of them because I share this so much, particularly for people of color, where we have very tight family community. Well, very tight familiar relationship, family relationship. And it's not particularly common for us to go and study abroad and to and because when you're abroad, you're, you're alone, your families are worried, things could happen. We hear about it all the time on the news more so now than, than 20 years ago. And it's, it's very scary for a parent. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine how terrifying it may be for parents and at that time, as much as they love me, they really wanted, they wanted me to have my dreams, but within reach that weren't going to be so dangerous. And I still, in my mind, it wasn't being dangerous. The most dangerous thing is ignoring your dreams, throwing them in the drawer and, and, and pushing it in and not re- opening it up and, and, and taking the opportunity to just, Possibly let it fall if that's what, if that's what's supposed to happen. I think that's the scariest thing. And they were raised differently. They were put, you know, brought up in a different time where stability was most important. And I can look back now and really respect that. And they can respect what I helped them to do by pushing them more and more forward thinking into, you know, understanding about other cultures and other people and why that's important, particularly now with everything that's going on, they understand so much about the world because of the lens that I've been able to provide for them. So we're both learning from each other. You know, I always thought that, you know, oh, your parents know everything. No, they really don't. But you still have to respect them. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) No offense, mom and dad. If you end up listening
1: to this, I love you. I love you. I love you. We love our parents. We love our parents yeah (laughs) so um, but i did want to ask you about your experience being a black american in taiwan because that's something that a lot of people are probably really curious about how are you received there what are the race dynamics like there
2: okay so i have been in taiwan 15 years when i first came i would always get the question where are you from i'm from the united states where are your parents from my parents are from the united states where are your grandparents from? The United States. I would get that question over and over again. But they were they weren't rude. Every once in a while I would get the, you know, the stare where someone would look at me because I had darker skin and they would be like, "Ooh, this is just disgusting." And I would just laugh it off because in my thinking, I'm like, I grew up in the United States where like all my white friends died for my color. Like they would sunbathe all day long. And I'm just like, it was effortless. (laughs) Everyone wanted a, a beautiful tan complexion that I had. And in here, everyone wanted bleached white skin. And there were times where it was challenging, but I wouldn't say it was as challenging as other Asian countries because Taiwan is very unique where culturally I consider them to be more like Chinese Californians. They're kind of hippie and open-minded. So they knew that I was different and they would comment on it. But at the same time, they embraced the differentness that I possessed. Like it attracted attracted them and it didn't influence how they treated me for the most part. I mean, I'm not going to say that this was 100 percent. Of course, I had my run ins with, you know, idiots every now and again. But I would say by and far was, you know, maybe five, five percent. But once Obama became president, all that changed. I mean, his racial background was examined so much and talked about so much, and it just completely, and I wouldn't say just only in Taiwan, just like on a massive scale globally people finally understood that wait a minute you don't have to be blonde hair blue eyes to be an american there's lots of different kinds of people who live in the united states and not just only for the us we watch the olympics now and we can see a black face represent germany and not have these questions or have someone who looks aboriginal and they you know they come from australia like we're not we're not pigeonholing everybody to looking at this specific way when they come from a country anymore, because that's just not what's true. And I really respect Taiwanese people a lot for that, because even though they, they didn't understand when I first came, they were open to understanding. And I really challenge if anyone's interested in traveling, you know, if you happen to come across people who are asking you questions. Americans tend to be so, sometimes so easily offended because, you know, people's PC lens isn't up and they're just being honest. It's just, it's a part of education. It's a part of people understanding who we are and what makes us different. And realizing that these just aren't bridges, but these, these, they're, they are bridges. They're not meant to separate us, but to connect us. So the more open you can be about talking about, you know, your hair texture and how you talk, you know, you, you handle your hair and your color skin and how you feel about it, the more people can understand. So be patient.
1: And that's gotta be hard too, when you're trying to learn a new culture and instead of spending your time learning the new culture, You're educating everyone on yours (laughs) when what you really want to be doing is saying, okay, but wait, how do we do this here?
2: There are days that I have that, you know, that I could just be like a pain in the ass and be like, you know what? Like the other day I went hiking and a woman you know, said, oh, I haven't seen you here before. And I'm like, oh, I've lived here for almost four years. Four years? I said, yeah, I lived in the city for 11, and I moved out here four years ago. And she's just like, oh, you know, where are you from? And I said, I'm from America. America? There's no way you can be America. You're too dark. And I'm like, okay. This is an older woman. I'm used to this. It's the countryside. I said, oh, you know, my parents lived there for many years, da-da-da-da-da. And then she said something else. And I said, you obviously don't know American history. And she said, I don't. She said, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But this is what people really have to understand. So, you know, it's hard for me. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, and when I have a bad day, I don't have patience. I'm like, you know what? You're just so stupid. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like over this okay (laughs) but then you know and then but with that attitude sometimes it takes you back to be you know what diana you are not perfect either girlfriend you got a lot of your own issues there's a lot of different things that you don't know about there's a lot of dumb questions you ask hey not everybody had all the advantages that you've had so i felt bad when i said that to her i was like I'm so awful. But, you know, she was pretty cool about it. Like she didn't, you know, she said she was sorry. And then, you know, she just kept on going. So the next time I see her hiking, you know, I won't be so mean to her. (laughs) Hey, hey, we all have
1: good and bad days. I get it. Now, to be fair, I know nothing about Taiwanese history. So if right. someone here and I asked them a question, they could probably throw that at me and I'd say, you know what? You got me. I, I know nothing. So although, this is how you call... ask too. It's yes. how you
2: ask. So culturally, you know, she's like, ah, ah, ah.
1: it's just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> got it. So you have, uh, your work now, though, is focused on helping companies, U.S. companies understand chinese cultural norms Mm -hmm. so that they can be more successful in business Mm -hmm. because we're operating in an increasingly global economy and i know that that's just such an overused phrase but it's so true and Mm -hmm. you know right now during um kind of peak pandemic around the world we're seeing how connected we all are um so how do you engage with these companies Um, And for those of us sitting in the U.S. who are not as familiar with Chinese culture and who don't yet have roles where we interact internationally, can you tell us what's something basic that we need to know as we prepare ourselves to enter into this global marketplace? I
2: would say the first thing that you need to prepare yourself before you enter the global marketplace is to understand how much you don't know. I have found so often and I don't want to say this about everyone but Westerners in general tend to talk a lot in comparison to Eastern people. They tend to think they know a lot in comparison to Eastern people and after living here for a long time and Seeing how the Buddhists and Taoists and Hindu, like all these different Eastern philosophies, really mold the people into being very more timid, more observant, very good listeners, not so quick to react, more mild mannered and controlled. It's such a big difference to Western thinking and approach to handling business in particular. So you really need to understand how much you don't know. Even if you think you know, you don't know. And to be be humble to that fact. Always just just walk right in to a situation and admit that there's things that you don't know and ask open-ended questions and you wait for the responses and you listen and take in the responses. Hear their pain points. Hear what they're interested in doing. So often we're busy talking, 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 talking. And They're busy listening and taking everything in, but at the end of the day, they're the ones getting the best deal, and we're wearing ourselves out, (laughs) and we're thinking we're the ones that got the best deal, when we really didn't, so I would say that's probably number one. Just learn to listen and understand that you don't know everything that's going on, so, yeah, that's, that's first, 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 first. Because the cultures are just so different.
1: So, And I would say that's great advice, not just if you're dealing with Asian countries, but if you're dealing with anyone. Right? <laughs> Ask yeah. more questions. Yeah. Uh, listen more than you talk.
2: And it's interesting that that humility, that listening component, and I try to share it with it with people over and over and over again. And I see that same mistake done again and again and again and again. And they don't make that mistake because most of the time they're busy thinking and they're in it for the long game. And we're busy running our mouths and saying different things and we really don't. Totally understand, we, we're not seeing the big picture. We think we do, but you have to really look if to understand the big picture, you need to be able to examine things on a bunch of different sides. And to know everything from a bunch of different sides, you need to also the most important thing you need to know that you don't know. So you have to just get the input from all these different types of sources. And that was a hard lesson for me to know to learn as. You know, a black woman from Philly, I was just like, oh, no, she thinks she's, you know, and I've learned. I'm like, you know what, Diana? You know, you put your foot in your mouth one too many times. You thought you knew what you were doing and you didn't or it appeared as being one way and it wasn't. Or she, she or he came off as a little abrasive, but they really aren't. So many times down through the years, I really thought that I had it all figured out. And the older I get
1: and the longer I'm here, the more that I know that I don't know. So, I think that's good advice. And I think a lot of us, as we get older, we start to learn that naturally, even if we haven't traveled the world. But <laughs> But there's that yeah. moment, right? There's that moment where you think, oh, man. Did I really really spend all my life speaking like that?
2: You know, Amy, I'm still meeting people, though. (laughs) I'm still meeting people, though, where they haven't learned that. And they're older than me. And I'm like, (sighs) you're supposed to be my big sister in this situation. I'm supposed to be looking to you as my role model. Why am I not seeing this? But, you know,
1: I digress. (laughs) <laughs> we all get there in our own time. We all we do. do. We do. <laughs> or And we some do. of us don't get there at all, but that's another, that's a story right. for another day. Right. right. So Diana, tell me a little bit about, you know, what do you see in terms of trends for the work that you're doing, this consulting work cross-culturally that you're doing? Do you think that this is going to be a growing industry and, uh, or do you see it leveling off?
2: Well, before COVID-19, I definitely did. <laughs> everything's changed because of COVID-19 pre-COVID-19 things were well I don't want to say pre-COVID-19 I would say a year before COVID-19 anything Chinese was a like very, very 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 hot and then there was the US-China trade war where things leveled off quite a bit because You know, the U.S. and and China with the tariffs and everything that it was just a back and forth war that was going on. And as a result, quite a bit of the visas were not for Chinese visas, not Taiwanese visas. Chinese visas were rejected. So quite, you know, very, very few Chinese were able to come to the U.S., And when they come to the U.S., they have incredible buying power. Out of all the tourists that come to the U.S., 20% of all sales are from Chinese tourists alone, 20%. So particularly for luxury goods, but not even just for luxury goods. Luxury goods, drugstore products, they dominate it. So everyone wanted and encouraged Chinese consumers But then when everything happened with the U.S. trade war, it slagged off substantially, I would say, probably by 70 percent. And then, of course, with COVID-19, it's at almost nothing other than, you know, university students and Chinese Americans who immigrated after university or, or what have you. And now, like I said, for the most part, everyone had to go back to China or Taiwan if they were university students. If they're full-time workers, they're still in the States. But a lot of those statistics aren't even available now because of COVID-19. I believe that it'll make a comeback. But we're in such uncertain times right now until we get a vaccine. I'm not sure exactly what the future holds I'm just like everybody else wondering how will this play out for Chinese consumer behavior globally. They're so important globally. Like every country cares about Chinese tourism and consumer behavior because they've, they've, they've got the money. They're the largest market in the world and they, and they travel particularly Chinese new year. But now the fear after, COVID-19 had spread mainly during the Christmas New Year and Chinese New Year holidays, it was able to spread all over the world so quickly. So I hope that doesn't affect people and their views of Chinese people because it's like anything else. I mean, no one had control over the virus. It's something that happened because of the use of wet markets in Wuhan, but I'm fearful of the discrimination that has arose, particularly in Western countries after COVID-19 approached. So I really hope in the future that it will, it will make, I'm sure it will make a comeback, but I hope that it'll be after, you know, it'll be sooner rather than later, at least for my business. But for now, I've, I've realized that I've had to
1: pivot. So thank you for that, because I think it's, you know, it's interesting we're in this, this weird moment, but I think, you know, long view, things even out over the long view, probably. If someone's interested in doing what you're doing in cross-cultural consulting or in um, even foreign language, which we didn't even have time to talk about, all the work you do in foreign language public speaking, mm-hmm. if that's something that they're interested in, where can they learn more about this kind of work?
2: Well, if they're interested in foreign language, public speaking, they can look at my website at speakingc.com. You can find me. I can help you if there is a speech that you want to write in another language. I also published a book. It's not on sale on Amazon in the U.S. yet. I'm so sorry, but it is in Taiwan. And I can also give you a PDF copy if you email Ooh. me. Yes, an advanced reader copy, and you can just go under speakingc.com. You can send me an email, and I will give you an advanced reader copy if you're interested in taking a look at it, or you can just get a sample from the website. And my website is very good. We're under the About tab. It explains the whole process of why foreign language public speaking is important, how we can use public like speeches to be able to accelerate our foreign language learning that was what basically how i was able to improve my chinese speaking by making speeches to help with my chinese fluency because i really really struggled and regular classes weren't cutting it and all the other methods i was just too lazy to do
1: so i made speeches that's wonderful. So <laughs> so you compensated for laziness by public speaking, which most people, public speaking is the exact opposite, right? It's not a motivator. It's the thing that they run from. So <laughs> I love your approach, Diana. I love speeches. So
2: it worked. It worked for me because I got the, the writing practice. I got the reading practice. I was able to work on my intonation and and just my fluency improved. It was hard. But, you know, everybody finds, like, when it comes to language learning, you kind of have to find that secret sauce that works for you. It's not the same for everybody. And we're learning that with foreign language learning research, you're recognizing now that the traditional, you know, reading, writing, listening, speaking, pronunciation, and la-la-la-la-la-la, it doesn't work for everybody in that in that, exact ama- like that exact format. Different people learn languages in different ways, and it's all based on motivation, What motivates you? For some people, it's not speaking at all. They don't even want to really speak. They just love literature. I know plenty of people here where their spoken English is horrible, but they can read Shakespeare and they love it because that's what motivates them. That's what works for them. And then I know other people where their reading and writing is terrible and they're very fluent English speakers. So you have to find that secret sauce that just works for you, that keeps you motivated and interested in using that foreign language and understand that that's that
1: connection to help you understand other people in the world. That is beautiful. Diana Watson, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for
2: having me. Thank you for having me, Amy.